Uh, welcome, guys, to today's episode. I'm so excited because I'm joined by uh, a very amazing guest uh, with uh, Shana. Uh, Shana Fanon uh, has some exceptional work that she has done to personal development and also uh, her career as an interior designer. But I won't say much. I would love it if she does the introduction for herself before we commence. Shana, your floor. Sure. Yes. Hi, gentlemen. Um, and thanks for having me on um, your podcast, Breakout. Um, I'm an interior designer and life design consultant. And really, I work with clients. Um, I truly believe that the spaces we spend time in are a vision board for our life. And, you know, I started my own business because I really wanted to be able to create that vision board for people's lives with them and then use my skills as an interior designer um, and coaching and to be able to kind of fuse those things together and help people to lead a more intentional and well-designed life. Wow, that's that's really amazing. So like with reference to your career as an interior designer uh, did it start at an early stage or were you forced into a profession or it's it was an interest that you had for a very long period and you just decided to to pursue that passion or that career path um it probably started when i was a kid i had a really difficult upbringing and um and i started to recognize that when things would go badly in my life that um I would have this inclination to like organize or clean or to reorganize and kind of reset the stage really. It was this way of, you know, reconnecting with um, the space and kind of rewriting the narrative um, Mm -hmm. of that moment. And by, by doing so, you know, I started to recognize that pattern. And then I also started to kind of create my own version of vision boarding. Really. I, um, we used to get these JC Penny catalogs in the mail. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not young. Um, <laughs> uh, and so they still mailed giant catalogs when I was a kid, and they were like two inches thick. And I would go through and I would page through and I'd pick all the things that I wanted that that would add up together to create the life I wanted. Really, I was vision boarding via catalog. Um, mm-hmm. And I would surround my room. I would write quotes. Um, I read a lot and I would write quotes um, down from from authors or people that inspired me. I would I would buy calendars that had like, a, you know, quotes mm-hmm. on them and I would get my hands on anything that had inspirational quotes and I would surround myself with them. Um, and so I just started realizing how much our physical space impacts our mental health um, oh. and how much, you know, so many times we're told, you know, write things down, put them up on the wall around you. You know, we need to read them. We need to see them. We need to surround ourselves with things that remind us not just mm. of who we are, but of who we're becoming, of who we're trying to become, of who we're meant to be. And when mm-hmm. we when we do that in the, our physical environment, it helps to remind us to go back to our why. Like, why am I doing this? Why am I pushing through this pain? Why do I want to grow? Why am I enduring this? You know, why all these things, whenever difficult times come, because they always come. um, And that's not a bad thing, right? Like what I've come to understand in my journey of life and as an entrepreneur is that we have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. We've been sold this lie that life is supposed to be full of joy and happiness. Now, joy is something it is supposed to be full of, but joy is not happiness. They're not the same thing. Um, 
And when we take responsibility for our life and we live our life intentionally, when we design our life, um, it helps to navigate these difficult times much mm-hmm. more easily. And we can hold on to our joy because really our joy is who we are inside. You know, we don't mm-hmm. lose sight of that. <clears throat> and and joy many times comes from our connection, right? Not just to other people, but to ourselves. And we have to know ourselves to really connect with other people. So it's really all connected. And so when I started recognizing all of this <clears throat> in my life and my own journey, Um, Mm -hmm. that's when I became aware that being an interior designer was a thing. Um, And I was like, okay, I think that's what I'm supposed to do. And I had a really hard time deciding between architecture and interiors. And I actually considered going to school for engineering as well. Um, Mm -hmm. And I ultimately decided on interior design because I recognized that neither engineering or architecture actually focused on teaching you the interior, right? And that is where we as human beings have the most interaction. And so yeah. I, I decided to go to an interior design school that really had a strong emphasis on architecture. Um, and so mm-hmm. many of our projects were entirely architecturally based. And my, one of my teachers was an architect. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, and so I was able to embrace all of these different aspects of all of these wow. things that were part of my journey and really infuse them into being an interior designer and really a life designer, really helping people to recognize who they really are and then us being able to express that in physical form. That's really, really amazing. Now, there's, uh, with reference to what you have said, there's an interesting point where you said us really getting to know ourselves. And I looked up some of your work. You are someone who has this interesting view to say, you are not supposed to be owned by someone that this is mine, but you are supposed yeah. you are owned by yourself. How yeah. when did you realize that during the course of your discovery to say, I think I'll do interior design or did it was is that a lifelong process that even you know, now you're trying yeah. to work into? Lifelong, absolutely lifelong. I grew up in an excessively conservative Christian household, mm-hmm. um, very dogmatic, very principled. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I saw, I saw that who who I was being told I must be mm-hmm. um, was not the person, not the behavior I was seeing reflected in the people around me telling me, mm-hmm. "This is what you must do. This is how you must behave." you, you know, you're not supposed to, you know, show your body, you're not allowed to, you know, you're not allowed to do anything that might get a man's attention, you know, until you want to get married, you know, you're, you're not allowed to, to really connect with your own body in any way, it belongs to your parents, and then it belongs Mm. to your husband. Um, And then I started really diving into intersectional feminism, and Mm -hmm. into into the foundations of America, which is oppression. (laughs) Um, And uh, I know it's a sensitive subject um, for many people, but Mm. the foundation of America is oppression and of women, of children, and of minorities. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, trying to tread lightly. <laughs> um, when you start researching and understanding feminism, there's a reason why feminism and racism belong in the same conversation and must be abolished together. 
Mm-hmm. Um, what do you mean? The, the, um, the laws in, in America around uh, marriage and family mm-hmm. are the same laws that were used, almost copied verbatim, um, mm-hmm. to justify and legalize slavery, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, were, they were copies of each other. Mm-hmm. And when you come to understand that the foundation of marriage in America is about mm-hmm. ownership of the woman's body, right? And the mm-hmm. foundation of America is about ownership of whoever you classify as other in that moment, which at the foundation of America was Black people. Mm-hmm. You realize that <clears throat> those two things, they're about ownership, right? Yeah. There's so much of our culture that is about ownership. To mm-hmm. be someone, I must possess money, power over someone else. Over right? someone else. Um, and when you really sit with that, right? Mm-hmm. And you take ownership of that and you understand that, mm-hmm. you understand that it's not true. You cannot own another person. They never belong to you, right? That's why divorce yeah so high people pretend like divorce is so high because people don't love god enough no they just love Mm -hmm. themselves enough to know that the lies they're being told aren't true i i don't i don't i don't need to submit myself to someone else i don't have to live miserable in this life so that you can be happy but are you even happy by dominating another person no you're not because you forfeit your own humanity yeah. when you take someone else's, when you make someone else or something else other, because we are all intrinsically connected. We are all inextricably, as Brene Brown would say, we are all inextricably connected. And that's not just human beings. It's the earth. It's the plant. We all are, it's symbiotic. We cannot exist without one another. If the, if the ground, if the grass all dies around the world or the trees all die, that affects us all, Right. We yeah. all exist together in this ecosystem. And when we understand the ecosystem doesn't just apply to plants and animals, it applies to us as human beings, that everything wow. we do has a ripple effect into every other aspect of not only our lives, but everyone else's and everything else's. We understand yeah. that if I love you, then I mm-hmm. do not need to hold you. I don't mm-hmm. need to capture you. I don't need to to put a ring on your finger and pay a ton of money for it to, to show mm-hmm. everybody how powerful I am, right? Because a giant engagement ring has nothing to do with the woman who wears it, but everything wow. to do with the person who put it there. Mm-hmm. Male, female, other, it doesn't matter. It has everything to do with the person who put it there, showing off how much money they have in their bank account and that they spent all that money to buy that person. Right. Wow. And even, oh, I'm getting passionate about this. Even <laughs> I'm very passionate about this. So you asked the right or perhaps the wrong question. Um, even our um, ceremony around marriage is real messed up. Right. So when you think about it, that traditionally, specifically marriage, like traditionally in America, marriage is male, female. So I'm just going to use that as an example in this moment. Yeah. yeah. Um, because that's where this all started. Right. Mm-hmm. And so when you see, when you see and understand that the the whole ceremony is around a woman being given away, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? think about that. What does that mean, right? When something is given away, that means it is a possession, possession. of someone else. 
Yeah. Right. So a woman in this instance, a woman is possessed by her parents or more specifically her father, because she's typically not given away by her parents. Although many people are changing that, right? Yeah. But traditionally, a woman is given away by her father, whose last name she has, right? Yes. You don't take on your mother's last name. You take on your father's last name because ownership is by a yeah. man. Yeah. Traditionally, right? We're, again, coming back to that metaphor. Um, and so traditionally, the man owns his wife and his, his wife. children, and they are his possession to do with as he chooses. And then he chooses to give her away. He must give his blessing. Mm-hmm. for her to be given away. Mm-hmm. He walks her down the aisle and hands her to her new owner, mm-hmm. her husband. Right? Yeah. And now she takes his last name and he puts a giant ring on it to prove that he's got enough money to take care of this possession slash burden. Mm-hmm. Which then she is this possession that must care for him both physically and emotionally because mm-hmm. because men are typically not asked or expected to be or have much emotional intelligence yeah traditionally mm-hmm. they're being asked to now but that's a whole nother subject um mm-hmm. and then you know he's just supposed to provide the money right he doesn't get to be human he just gets to be the bank account and he gets to be the possessor and so all of these things are kind of wrapped up and tied together into me understanding that ownership has mm-hmm. to go. It mm-hmm. is when we truly love something that we can open our hand, right? When you close your hand around sand, mm-hmm. it's, it falls out between your fingers. You can't hold it, right? Yeah. You it, it eventually will completely squeeze out of your hand. But when you mm-hmm. open it, if you were to open your hand and leave the sand there, mm-hmm. right? Sand stays. It doesn't go anywhere. It might fall off a little bit off the sides, but it'll stay in the palm of your hand, right? Yeah. So when we squeeze something, it dies and it leaves us. But when we open our hand, it stays with us. Because now we trust and we know, and it challenges us to be a better version of ourselves rather than saying, this is mine and planting a flag and then not caring about it. We spend every day waking up going, I choose this person. I choose to be the person I need to be to grow with this person um, or in this life. And then they choose to be with me. And if we no longer need, or if our journey no longer takes us together, then we get to walk away and there's no ripping apart of each other's lives, Mm -hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You know, and that doesn't mean I don't want to spend my life with someone. It just means I want the opportunity to choose. I don't want a legally binding document that says I what? belong to that person. Do you know what I mean? Mm, yeah. I hope that makes sense. Yeah. Very, this is a very, very interesting. Uh, there are very, very interesting points out there which would make someone think. Yeah. So I'm wondering, I, let me take you back to your point why you said, um, you're someone like maybe they're getting married, they do some legal documentation, signing and all that. This is my wife and stuff like that. More like you are getting a position. In in short, it's like you're buying someone. So looking at the psychological point of view, do you think this has a very big psychological impact with the way many people look at life? For instance, yeah. you have this person as your husband, you have this as your wife, they paid the bride price, whatever. Do you think it has this psychological impact on either the two people? 
Yeah, absolutely. And let me say that I have a lot of friends who are married and chose not to have a religious marriage. They chose to have a marriage that um, where they choose one another and they mm-hmm. they have um, either chosen to keep their own last names or have chosen to keep, you know, to take on one another's last name or, or what have you. But they've chosen a non-religious marriage because they don't believe in that that ownership. They believe in belonging to one another. And so I don't believe that all marriage is necessarily about ownership. Just the premise of it is why it was created. Um, But, you know, back to your question, yes, I do. We are affected whether we know it. All of us have internalized misogyny. All of us have internalized understanding of patriarchy and hierarchy, right? And it is baked into our society and emphasized by organized religion, um, by politics, by mm-hmm. our, our overly capitalist system, um, it's a stranglehold. Yeah, it's a stranglehold, right? And it's why I decided to go into business for myself. Mm-hmm. I I believe that the initial intent, perhaps, of capitalism may have not been what we see it now as manifested yeah. as, but. I don't know what their original intention was. I wasn't there. But what I do know is that the current interpretation, um, the current interpretation isn't working. It's it's killing people. It is literally, that's, that's not a metaphor. It is literally killing people. And I'm not mm-hmm. just talking about from hunger. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that it affects every aspect of our lives. How can it not? When when every part of your life is a is is told to you about establishing a hierarchy, you must be better than this person. You must be the best. You must win, win, win. You know, you either win or you lose. You're either the victor or the victim. There's so much of this false dichotomy language in our society, mm. right? It's like you're either this or you're that. And mm. life is almost never that, right? And mm. Brene Brown talks about this a lot. It's like whenever you hear someone say you're either this or that, it's a false dichotomy and you've got to sit there and, and lean in and get curious and start asking them questions instead of instead of fighting and arguing and screaming at each other, trying to explain, you know, trying to get our point across. If we start diving in and asking each other questions, we start to learn and people start to see things all by themselves. You know, the world is more gray than it is black and white. And, and, you know, I think um, no matter what, mm. we are affected by these hierarchies that have been created. Um, and it does affect relationships. And quite frankly, women have been told for so long that they're supposed to do it all. Wonder women, you know, they're supposed to be mother and wife and, you know, have a job or have a career or own a business, all these things. But mm. that's miserable. Mm-hmm. To have to take care of your husband so that you could be qualified as a good wife, right? You've got to cook well, you've got to clean, you've got to, you know, birth children, then you've got to be the primary caregiver for those children. Um, And even, you know, still in most relationships, that is the reality. There are some relationships in which men take equal responsibility for offspring, but in more times than not, I still see. I still see women being the primary caretaker. The default is that the wife will do it. Oh, she's got it. She's got it. She's got it. You know, and 
And there are some, some associations with men that are the same way, like, you know, okay, that's his responsibility. It's, it's, it's kind of mm-hmm. default. I think many more couples are now starting to understand that, like, if they, if they want their marriage to be successful, they can't follow that. Um, mm-hmm. And all of this kind of plays into what I do because I deal with married couples a lot. And so mm-hmm. I end up being like part marriage counselor. <laughs> and, and, you know, because if I don't, it can really tear people apart. Renovating their home is a very stressful thing. It's a lot of money. And it's mm-hmm. very stressful. And so we sit down from the beginning and I let everybody know that everybody's voice is equal and I want to hear everyone's voice. And I'm not going to allow um, one person to dominate the conversation. I, I mm-hmm. need both people to be there and to be present. And it really starts to initiate conversations with them and within their own relationship where they start to understand that assumptions are what kills us and yeah. all of, most of our assumptions come from these indoctrinated places right that's a woman's job this is a man's job this is how a man behaves this is how a woman behaves like, our assumptions come from that place because that's what's been indoctrinated us in, into us from the time that we were infants girls are given baby dolls boys are given war machines right yeah the indoctrination starts from infancy and it's very powerful because of it. And so when when people say, especially when men, you know, men don't want to believe that they're a misogynist. They don't want to believe that they're that they buy into the patriarchy. They don't want to believe that they're harming women, right? Because they want to be a good man. Mm. But they'll just declare that they're not a misogynist. And I'm like, bull crap. <laughs> bull crap. Because even if you aren't racist, you still have unconscious bias that is, in fact, racist. There mm. are levels to everything. We all have indoctrinated beliefs that aren't accurate, right? right. And so we've always got to be searching them out and rooting mm. them out and learning more and doing better. Like Maya Angelou said, when we know better, we do better. And so we must be constantly curious and mm. open and aware that we've got more to learn. Right. We've always got more to learn and more questions to ask. And so that's the place that I come from is a place of curiosity. And right. I think when more married couples, when married couples get to that place of curiosity and they are willing to be vulnerable and authentic with each other and ask those questions, knowing that it's leaving themselves open to accepting that they might've done something that is harmful to their partner, mm-hmm. knowing that that can change. Yeah. And then we start leaning into curiosity. It changes everything. It oh. creates emotional safety. It, it sets the groundwork for emotional intelligence. It changes the dynamic in a relationship like that, mm. right? Because now we can say, hold on, wait, let's get curious here. Mm. What are the stories we're telling ourselves? What are the stories we're buying into as a couple? What are the stories yeah. that we're feeding into that we don't want to, that aren't meant for us? right? And Mm -hmm. that is when we can change our lives. And that's when I think marriages are more successful or relationships in general is when you let go of that and you start getting curious. I mean, curiosity, I just think is the cure to many ails in our, in our society. So now uh, one more question for you. I'm curious to hear your view on these. You had mentioned the thing of society giving, for instance, titles to some people, for example, this hierarchy, which is already in society. Now, do you think, um, talking of uh, 
people trying to develop other aspects of their lives, like, for example, their personal lives. For instance, I think if, unless I'm mistaken, you can correct me, but I think according to your explanation, you are one person who doesn't want to be, for example, labeled, for example, as an interior designer or as just an entrepreneur. Uh, according to your explanation, I don't think you would love that. So do you think uh, this whole concept of having these so-called titles affects the person's uh, thought to do other things outside of that which is accepted. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> One of my favorite affirmations is Soham. It's Sanskrit mm-hmm. for I am. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really, really powerful concept. And my, again, not to like quote Maya Angelou like crazy, but I kind of have these mentors in my head and Maya Angelou is one of them and Brene Brown is one of them. And there's Malcolm Gladwell and all these people, some are dead, some are living. Um, Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I think, oh, I lost my train of thought. What what was your question again? I was talking about hierarchy. For instance, we have different- Oh yes, okay, I I was talking about I am. Got it, thank you, yes. Maya Angelou said, you know, Maya belongs to Maya. Um, mm-hmm. And 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 I think what's really beautiful about that is that what when we when we recognize we belong to ourselves. Um, mm-hmm. And she also has this really beautiful quote that I literally have on my vision board right in front of me. And she says, you're only free when you realize you belong no place. You belong every place. No place at all. The price is high and the reward is great. And I think when we when we can break that on and recognize that categories are also a place, they're mm-hmm. a placeholder, right? And when we can when we can let go of categorizing, and I think that's really where our society is moving towards. And so many people are pushing against it because they've benefited from hierarchy, one way or another, either by playing mm-hmm. the victim or by playing the victor. Um, when we can let go of categories, then we just get to be ourselves. We get to embrace our uniqueness. And when we can fully embrace our uniqueness, we fully embrace others and we create space. We don't just fully embrace others. We create space for others mm-hmm. to embrace themselves, right? We, we, we yeah. take up more space and at the same time, create more space for others to do the same. And when we recognize that space is infinite, right? Mm-hmm. Literally, the universe is infinite. So there is an infinite amount of space in this mm-hmm. world, right? Yeah. When we recognize that, then we don't have to categorize categorize ourselves or others because categories require us to take up less space, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. A category is within a box, and mm-hmm. you must fit yourself within this box. If you don't fit in this box, well, you're not in this category. You don't belong yeah. here, right? And so I have a lot of friends who are uh, multiracial, right? And many of them have had this very difficult struggle with okay, so they might be kind of a a light brown skinned person. They might be half black or half Asian or, or, you know, half black and half white or, but they don't feel like they were ever accepted by either, Mm. right? So they're not Asian enough or white enough for white people and they're not black enough for black people, right? And Mm Um, again, I think that that is changing, but yeah. it, it is a representation. It is a metaphor and understanding for so many times we're like, you don't fit enough into this category. Mm-hmm. So you've got to find another one. And yeah. and my proposition is not that we create more categories so that more mm-hmm. people fit in more categories. It's that we eliminate the categories entirely 
And instead of me being, hi, I'm Shana and I'm an interior designer. It's just, hi, I'm Shana and I belong to myself. Right. And Mm. you don't get to define me. I do. And sure, you can define me, but I don't actually care about your definition of me because your your definition of me has nothing to do with me. Mm. And your opinion of me is none of my business. My opinion of me is what matters. And when I know myself and I embrace myself fully, then I know who in my life is there and supports me and supports me belonging to myself and they're allowed in and I belong with them. Right. And they belong with me. Wow. That's, that's a very interesting concept because I have observed this, that many people out there are stuck in this whole concept of I am this. And the moment someone's stuck in that space, I believe, according to the way I've put it out, it's like you are enclosed in just one sphere of life and you don't think outside the box. And uh, I, I don't I'm, know I'm curious. people don't think outside of the box. I think it's that they're afraid to. And they're also afraid to admit that they think outside of the box. Categories are gilded cages, right? They look pretty, mm-hmm. but still a cage, uh, you know? So you are saying we are afraid to actually think outside of the box. Yeah, I think I think it's that I think that plenty of people think outside of the box. I think they're just afraid to say it out loud, to admit it and to embrace it. Mm-hmm. Right. They, they spend so much of the time shoving it down because they realize the more they think outside of the box, the more they're going to be pushed out of the category. Right. And because our lives, because our, many of our relationships in our life depend on how we categorize ourselves. Mm-hmm. When we when we think outside of the box, we recognize that we are severing relationships mm. because that's how our relationship structure is set up in many people's lives. Okay, you belong in this category. We can be friends. The minute you yeah. step outside of that category, the minute you think outside of the box, now you don't belong in that category anymore, and we can't be friends. And so many of people, many of people's lives their lives, their connection in their lives, because we can't live without connection. So their lives depend on existing in a category. And so asking someone to step outside of the box and to live outside of the box and to think outside of the box, it equals death to them. Mm. Because it is the severing of every relationship in their life that matters. Yeah. Maybe, right? Mm-hmm. So... In short, these categories are the ones that separate us. Yeah. <laughs> categories separate us. Yeah. In short, yeah, that's the that's a great summation. Yeah. <laughs> categories separate us. That's it. Oh. So like uh do you what do you usually do you have a practice, motivation, uh meditation or anything like that? What do you really do to keep yourself in a certain kind of thought which is just unique and different and what can someone do to also like say, I think I like what Shana is doing. I want yeah. to also try to follow her path. What what what's what's your advice with regards to that? For me, I didn't know where to start. Right, I my life was surrounded by people who had no idea that I was surrounded by people whose lives I didn't want. Period. I didn't want their lives, and I didn't want to behave like them or have a life that looked anything like theirs. Um, and so reading became mm-hmm. and still is an, an immensely important part of my life and my practice of growth. You know, there's you've got to you've got to nurture yourself 
And that means yeah. feeding yourself and knowledge and wisdom can be gained from other people. So reading is a massive part of my personal practice. Um, journaling as well, because I think it's a really important part of processing, um, remembering mm -hmm. and releasing. Um, and then also a way to kind of record what we're grateful for. When we can look back at a journey, we can see how far we've come because we forget so easily how far yeah. we've come. You know, we have such short memory spans when it comes to our own growth yeah. until we program ourselves to really be thankful and grateful for where we've come from. And then I have a very, very intentional meditation practice every day. You know, mm -hmm. I spend the first hour of my day, except this week because I'm taking my niece to school. Um, but I usually spend my whole first hour um, mm -hmm. of the day with my cell phone being as far away from me as I can and drinking water. And then I go right into, you know, a meditation for at least 10 minutes, sometimes as long as half an hour or 45 minutes and really just breathing and being present um, because breath only happens in the mm -hmm. present, right? We can't breathe in the past and we can't breathe in the future. We are only breathing right now. And so that's the whole premise of breath work is that, you know, we can we can really, by focusing on our breath, be very, very present. Um, and and that really helps to keep me balanced. And prayer is a really important part of my life as well. So, yeah, I've, my day is very intentional. It's very set up, um, not highly structured as much as it's highly intentional. Oh, that's really, really amazing. And uh, for instance, I'm sure someone out there might be wondering to say, how do I reach Shana? How can I be able to connect with her? Because I'm sure you have, you're actually not only now, but you continue to inspire more lives with your story, your content and your work. So how, how would someone reach out to you and just talk to you? Um, my email is great. Um because mm -hmm. I can kind of connect to a lot of things there or um, on Instagram. Although typically Instagram, I have it kind of limited to if I don't follow you, I've got to approve your message. So it's a little bit, you can find me on Instagram and then my contact information is on there. Um, mm -hmm. So email is great. Um, my name is Shana. So my email is S-H-A-N-A -A at consonate. That's C-O-N. <laughs> I'm bad at spelling out loud. C-I-N-N-A-T-E dot world um that's yeah. my email and then you can find me on instagram it's at shana underscore francesca underscore um and that connects to um my business and that's tagged into my business instagram and my contact information is there as well uh, all right so you are you have a separate business uh page and a separate personal page right yes yes yep mm-hmm all right. No, like it has really been an interesting conversation. We would go on for hours discussing yeah. this <laughs> topic. Yeah. But I would really love it to, if possible, we might even have part two of this conversation or something, yeah. depending on how things would go. Otherwise, this, this is a very interesting topic personally, because it makes someone think. And yeah. you have put it in a in a place where you are supposed to sit down and think, am I really in the in the right spot of life? Yeah. Am I really in this category? Am I am I being limited by being in this kind of category? So yeah. it has really been mind opening for me. And I'm sure many people are going to be really inspired by this. And I look forward for us to probably have even another section of it to simply just 
comment or discuss some of the comments that people are going to pass and pass those questions to you. Yeah, no, I really appreciate you having me. I think your questions were great and um, I really appreciate the research that you did so that we could have this beautiful conversation. Thanks, Donovan. Thank you very much, Anna. I'm delighted and humbled. Yeah, thank you.